Welcome to ASAR Training and Response Podcast. This is episode two, where Eric and Carla talk about the urban ASAR class. Welcome back to the ASAR Training and Response Podcast. Today with me is Carla Lewis. Hello. And we are going to take a, a deep dive into the ASAR urban application training that we're working on for 2020. And the reason we're developing the urban focus training is typically ASAR uh, has been used in mass flooding or after a tornado or hurricane and collapsed structure. And we're in rural environments or we're in suburbs uh, that have been impacted, but we really haven't had that catastrophic event where we're working in the concrete jungle. Uh, and we are getting a lot of requests from our city partners. Uh, and a couple examples are Detroit and Washington, D.C. that have outstanding animal control units that need to be bolstered with technical rescue skills uh, where they may be working on everyday events. And so we're going to kind of talk about uh, how this relates to animal control officers of any size agency and then what the urban focus is going to actually look at and how it relates to the everyday call load that comes in for these animal services or animal control officers. And, you know, please remember when we say animal control officer, it encompasses a lot of animal welfare workers, whatever your title is in your jurisdiction anything from dog warden to animal services, whether you're an animal shelter that contracts for uh, taking animals in, in a community, um, you're all included in this because at any point in time, you may be called from regular duty into a situation where you have to have technical rescue knowledge, not only for the safety of the responder, but the safety of that animal. So everybody's included in this. Just don't think that we're talking to animal control officers or ASAR responders today. So Carla, how long have you been in the animal control field? Um, in 2010, I got a job as an animal control officer for a small suburb in Kansas City, and I've been doing that ever since. I'm really excited about this program um, because even in my job in a, in a suburban environment, we've had a lot of calls, a lot of situations where we've really had to rig something on the fly, where we've had to think outside the box and just kind of figure out the best way to rescue an animal. And I can really see a lot of the applications that we use in our technical response that can then be transferred to these urban environments. In a lot of situations that we see in the media, uh, it could be something simple, and I call this simple, but think about the random deer that falls in the pool. Uh, and what are your options for how do we get that deer out? You know, we like to use the KISS method. Keep it simple and you can fill in the other S on your own. Um, but it really is thinking through a plan and applying the simplest techniques uh, that are uh, low maintenance for the animal, probably low, low equipment needs. Uh, and the biggest thing is when you make your plan, talk it all the way through. Uh, we've, we've seen situations where people say, well, I'm just gonna throw a rope around this animal and pull it out. Okay, that great, that part works out really well but then you have an animal tied to your rope when you complete that rescue and how do you get that animal off the rope without leaving something behind for either it to get caught on 
or for you to have to deal with afterwards. So as we look at some of our environments, uh, whether you are working in a rural area that have cattle and ponds, uh, or whether you're working in the concrete jungle where you've got manhole covers and you know something as simple as mama duck and her ducklings that get stranded on a highway uh, because they fell down the manhole uh, grate and now traffic is stopped and people are risking their lives in high-speed traffic to save these ducklings or get mama off the road. Uh, we see it every year that if we don't provide a technical rescue service, the public will jump in and do it themselves at their own risk. So when we look at today, Carla, you know, you and I both are, are passionate about the animal control field because we, we kind of come from that law enforcement and uh, we try to represent all levels of animal control. Are there, are there any in particular stories that stand out in your head where you could have used a little bit more perspective or a little bit more of a technical support team uh, in an animal rescue situation? Yeah, I mean, uh, the first one that comes to mind was uh, really early on in my, in my career, we had a call, a frantic family, they couldn't find their dog all day and finally realized that he had fallen into a sump pump for a pool. And we got there as quickly as we could. And our pretty much our only recourse was to use a catch pole. Dog was about six feet down, just swimming circles in the bottom of this little sump pump uh, hole. And we, we, you know, like I said, we used a catch pole, put it around his neck and pulled him up, even though we know that that is not, you know, the best thing to do that that risk for injury to that animal's neck. But at the time, that is pretty much all, all we had to do. So that was one of those situations where I thought, man, I, I bet you there's a better way to do this. And uh, I, you know, hopefully that's one of those scenarios we can work out in this class. Yeah, very much so. And working in confined spaces, we often forget about the atmospheric conditions in there. And we know that, especially, and I'll tell you one of my stories where, you know, and it's amazing that I even still function these days. Uh, but when I was a young ACO, um, I actually, we had a kitty cat in a sewer drain and the sewer drains were at a corner. So they all intersected and I allowed a civilian to go down into the sewer drain without atmospheric testing and crawl around to look for her cat uh, because I didn't think it was going to be a big deal. She couldn't get that lost if she was only going to stay five or six feet away from the hole. Well, come to find out, the civilian decided to go crawling through the network of pipes, and I lost her for a good 15 minutes, uh, and she actually popped up on a different part of the intersection uh, where she had gotten lost in there. So, you know, lessons learned. We all uh, have made those mistakes in, in, in our younger days with lack of perspective, whereas today, you know, we would never take those risks and find better ways to work with these animals and not rush a situation, which is what we're going to look at in this urban focus class. And so this class that we're putting together for the concrete jungle is going to be customized per agency uh, to see what they need to focus on. If they have a suburban environment or if they are downtown Detroit, uh, what are the needs in collapsed structure, confined space, low angle ropes, high angle ropes? Are you dealing with big trees? Are you dealing with ledges? Um, are you dealing, do you have a zoo in your area where you may, may need to support them if it's destroyed um, and help them uh, with animals that are in closures? 
um, or are we dealing, do you have boarding facilities? And, and we have to think, if you're an animal control officer, think about not only the general public, but what facilities do you have in your jurisdiction that are animal related uh, that may need assistance from emergency management and first responders? And I'll tell you right now, for the first eight to 24 hours, the animal patrol officers will most likely be the experts in a disaster uh, for first response calls. Uh, dispatch gets that 911 call, help, my animal is trapped uh, due to a collapsed structure. I need help getting it out. And, and so we hoped that they would activate the animal patrol officer, activate a fire department in support of that. And with any luck, the animal patrol officer has some technical rescue ability uh, because they've taken an ASAR course and can work side by side with that fire department. And again, our goal through the ASAR training and response program is mission ready packaging for animal patrol officers, animal services uh, officers, um, animal handling experts of all types to have the technical rescue skills to work in support of other technical rescue teams and fire departments so they can work as a unified uh, entity to affect that rescue because if we don't provide that service the general public will make an effort to do those rescues at most any cost um, and keeping that that mantra of keeping the entire family together we know especially for you guys that are, are animal owners they're probably part of the family right now um, hopefully they're curled up on the couch listening to this podcast with you um, but you understand the necessity of what would you do to save your animal if no resources were, were available. So uh, we're testing a lot of these procedures. We're going to work with one of our Rescue 3 international instructors um, and this fall really take into account the stories from the animal patrol officers in this urban environment. Um, everything from we had to go down to a manhole cover. Uh, we have had animals uh, that have gotten out on building ledges and you think about wildlife uh, yeah. and, and what they'll do. Yeah, wildlife is just huge. We just this last year, I had a coyote that got stuck in a parking garage and he could not figure out how to get out on himself. And finally, he actually wedged himself in between the bars of this parking garage and luckily we were able to safely use chemical capture to uh, rescue him and, and remove him but those are really those kind of out of the box things that you just don't think about. What I found with wildlife is they will get themselves into the craziest situations. We had two bucks that were uh, fighting and got themselves stuck in a soccer net. And then it was this whole challenge of how do we remove enough of the soccer net so that they're not getting caught and keep ourselves safe? Because I think that is the huge thing with all of our training is, you know, officer safety first, human safety first, and then we worry about the animals. I love soccer nets. <laughs> I, I had, here's another one of my Eric Adventure stories. I, when I was a younger ACO and uh, we had an emu get loose in town. <laughs> the emu had escaped from the emu farm uh, as they were actually loading the emu onto the, the truck to go to the meat plant. And it had escaped. It was not going to the meat plant and had come into our city from another jurisdiction. It was over a weekend and it had found its way into an elementary school playground. And so we were actually called out public works, got some portable fencing in place and closed it in, but it was still running back and forth. 
and we had all sorts of ideas. Everybody from putting together makeshift bolos out of tennis balls and rope to uh, other capture techniques that I won't even acknowledge that did not come from me. Uh, and we finally decided to cut the soccer net down and corner the emu. Uh, we were able to uh, wrap it up in the net and we had an exotic sanctuary that took it on as a rescue. And it's probably still alive and happy to this day. But that's just part of being an animal patrol officer dealing with those situations in the field for any first responder. Some of it has to be a wide perspective with a high probability of success. Now, we tell people in training, we don't give you the silver bullet to answer every question. We give you training skills as a toolbox. You still have to have the judgment and perspective to apply those skills in the proper way. So it, it may be one, you may have lots of options when you get into a situation, but we actually, you know, are encouraging you to look at your toolkit and assess that and pick the option that has the highest probability of success. Uh, and it may or may not work, but you can go on to plan B, and if plan B isn't working, then you're on to plan C. So have that ability and have those skills and have that perspective. I think one of the big things about this class is, um, like Eric said, having those skills so that when you bring the fire department in, uh, that they know that you're capable, that they know we're speaking the same language, that we're using the same tools. Um, I think a lot of times animal control officers say, oh, the fire, the fire department won't come out on these animal calls, but those are the people who need to come out on those calls. And if we can get our animal control officers trained in this technical response, then the fire department can be a backup. They can be there as technical guidance, but the animal control officer can be the one who's hands-on with the animal because they have the training uh, there in order to keep safe and keep the animal safe. Absolutely. And, you know, after you take the training, uh, it's, it's, you know, highly recommended that you go and introduce yourself to these departments uh, because they may know your department exists, but it always makes things a little bit easier when you can shake hands, meet people, and be on a first name basis or at least be able to have contact information so these responders know who's coming in to support them and, and complete this rescue. And so we'll, we'll take a look at a lot of this. Uh, it will, the urban, app, uh, urban focus class will also look at some hazmat decon and a lot of confined space versus enclosed structure. Uh, and again, a lot of ropes and rigging that will you know, cross pollinate with a lot of these other classes. A lot of our tech rescue does involve rope rescue, at least getting those basics in, because rope rescue is one of those skills that if you don't practice it frequently, you start to lose the ability to actually do it efficiently. And even though we're working with a lot of equipment that is really strong in most situations, if it's applied poorly, bad things can happen. And remember, we're training to a standard and keeping you within the scope of your experience, your training, and your equipment. Working outside that scope leaves you open for possible litigation or liability. So we really want to train to a high standard, have you keep practice, create a standard operation procedure or a standard operating guideline, and we'll get into acronym, calling them SOPs, SOGs, so your agency is protected by your credential training. Uh, and we, we have a lot of perspective from our national partners on what's the right way to do this and how do you actually incorporate this into existing emergency management support functions 
how do you work with those support functions during a disaster, and then we're really trying to enhance how do we beef up the metrics on reporting. Because guys, if you're out there doing this and nobody ever knows about it, you don't report it up, or it's not captured efficiently, chances are it's not going to be very supportive in your efforts to get additional training in the future. So for those of you that don't like to toot your own horn, when you come into these situations, capture that in, in good detail in whatever form you can. And even if you submit that report and it doesn't go anywhere, you at least have it archived for future reference because at some point in time, somebody's going to ask you, why do you need this technical rescue training? And you can go back and pull that report because two years ago I had to do this and it could have gone better. So that's going to finish us up for the urban application course. If your agency is looking for urban applications for animal search and rescue technical skills, uh, give us an email at info at and let us know how many are in your jurisdiction. You know, it doesn't have to be a huge city. Right now we're working with Detroit and Washington, D.C., um, but we can also do regional trainings. If you have several cities around you, if you're in a suburb, um, and it doesn't just have to apply to animal control officers. This will be open to any of our first responders or our civilian um, teams, uh, our CART teams, our CERT teams that want their technical rescue skill certifications also. So we look forward to seeing you out there in the training field, and be safe. We look forward to talking to you again on another podcast.